We're in a series of messages where we're talking about uh, the future, and we're talking about what happens in our future, and we don't know the details of what will happen in our future, but, but our choices will determine many times the direction of our future. We don't know the individual details, and no one does. And our, our choices do not affect much of the individual details, but much of the direction of our future, our choices certainly do um, affect those greatly. And um, you've heard me say this from um, probably from the first week on, our, the future depends on what we do in the present. That's, that is a, uh, that's a secular statement. I could be up here and just be a, a, an atheist and believe that. Uh, you don't have to be a Christian to believe that. But that is a biblical statement, that that is accepted worldwide. That's, that's common sense, that our future depends on what we do in the present. And that just happens to be shown over and over and over again in God's Word, that, that our choices um, dramatically affect the future. We've got five or six people in here that have lost 50 pounds or more in the last two or three uh, weeks and two or three months, excuse me. And, <laughs> and, um, and what, what, the reason that they've lost all of that weight is because decisions they made in the present time. Uh, and, and, and they didn't see all of that great weight loss in the first week or first two weeks and all that. But as they continue to make decisions in their, per, in their present, it has great, great, great ramifications and consequences on, on the future that, uh, that, that we have. And so um, the Bible talks about this literally everywhere. The, to me, the, the, the seminal passage, the number one passage in all this is Galatians 6-7, where, where it says a man reaps what he sows. And you sow in the present. Sowing is what you do in the present, and reaping is what you do in the future. The farmer who, who sows will not see any change at all the next day or the next week or two weeks, but he will reap a harvest in the future. And so this, this verse that you've heard so many times as a, as, as a negative is a positive thing as well. When you sow positive things, you will reap positive things. And, and because what your choices are as you sow, and you sow in the present, but we reap in the future. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says the same thing. It basically says, if I sow just a few positive choices, then I will reap sparingly. But if I will sow lots and lots and months and months and years and years of positive choices then I will reap generously. Those two verses say exactly what I've been saying now for the last five weeks and probably will for a, a couple more. That, that, that what we sow and, and what, what we put in the ground and choices that we make and actions that we take now in the present have direct action, what, what happens in the future. So my 2024 and 25 and 2030, if God gives me that long, is, is directly, will directly be a result of what I'm doing today. And people don't like to hear that, and the reason people don't like to hear that is because that puts the responsibility on your shoulders. 
And I think it's cool that the responsibility is on my shoulders because I get to determine it. (laughs) I'm not a victim to any of you all. You all can't mess up my life unless I let you. And I'm not a victim. Now, bad things can happen to me and and absolutely bad things can happen to me, but I absolutely make the choice on what I'm going to do with that. All kinds of difficult things can happen to us and will happen to this. In this world, you will have trouble, but then we choose how we're going to respond to all of that. A female can, can, can have her husband just go off the rails on her and, and commit adultery on her, and it's not nothing that she chose. He just went nuts, and, but she chooses. She chooses how she's going to react to that if she's going to allow that to be able to burden her the rest of her life and to hold her back the rest of her life, if she does, that's on her. She's not a victim. We're not victims of of what other people do for us. They may affect us, but we always have a choice. If there's any gift that God has given us, with the exception of his son Jesus Christ, that is an unbelievably great gift, it's a choice of free will that I can choose. And what I sow sparingly, I will reap sparingly. And what I sow generously, I will reap generously. Now today I want to talk about something that you've heard forever and ever. You've heard your parents say it. You've heard your teachers say it. You've heard your coaches say it. You've heard your counselors say it. You've read it in, the, in, in the books. It's a secular statement. But it's backed up by biblical truth. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You show me the people that you hang out with and I will show you the future. You all know that's true. Parents know that's true because they have been worried sometimes about who their kids married and why were they worried about their choice of mate for their kid. Why were they worried about that? Because of what was down the road. Was down the road. Parents that were hesitant about a child's selection of a mate were worried about what was down the road. That's what that choice was going to do in the future. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. The Bible talks over and over and over. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully doesn't that sound snobbish doesn't that sound self-righteous doesn't that sound like that you're too good for somebody else (laughs) well this truth is taught over and over again that if you're a Christian you better be very selective You better be very selective about who your friends are. The righteous choose their friends carefully. A verse that's often used in marriage, and it's certainly applicable to that, but there's really nothing about marriage in the context of this verse. It's absolutely correct to apply it to marriage. But there's nothing in the context of this passage that has to do with marriage. 
2 Corinthians 6, 14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, yoked is an old word. It's an agricultural word. You had two oxen, and to get them to work together, you put this big yoke on them. And you had to get two oxen that were, had the same amount of strength because if you had one that was really strong and one that was really weak, you just go in a circle all day long. So Paul uses that analogy and said, do not be yoked together, tied together. This has an unbelievable amount of application to it. And the one that's used is marriage. You want to dig a hole for yourself before you ever say I do? Choose to marry someone that does not have the same values as you do. If you want to um, go in business and you want that business to be a constant source of frustration for you, have your business partner not have the same values. You're unequally yoked. You're unequally yoked. You, there's just nothing any more important for the success that you have as a person, as a husband, as a wife, as a business partner, as whatever that you choose to hang out with. And yoke is a word of intimacy. Yoke is a word of closeness. Uh, yoke is is a word that I'm, I'm tied together with this person. And you're not tied together with very many people. The people that are, are, are close to you, the people that are intimately involved with you, the people that, that, that matter a lot and affect and influence you, you, you have to have people that have the same values that you do. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can light have with darkness? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, bad company corrupts good character. When I was a basketball coach and we would have the occasional road game that we needed to spend the night somewhere. I've told you this before. We had to decide who, who roomed with who on the road. And like any, every basketball team I ever had, we had, quote, good kids and bad kids. What that meant was kids that you knew were going to behave themselves and kids that you just weren't too sure. What, what, what classification would you be in, David, on, the, on, the, on your team, I wonder? Huh? So maybe I should ask Steve on, on that. I don't know. And, you know, you could say, well, let's room, let's room a good kid with a kid that we're not too sure about in hopes that the good kid rubs off on the bad kid. No, never happens. <laughs> the bad kid always overcomes. Bad character corrupts, bad company corrupts good character. Okay, especially in young age. As we get older and more mature, and it changes a little. So you room all the good kids, good kids, together. And you room all the bad kids together. And you know where you got to pay attention. <laughs> you know where your trouble's going to be. 
I don't have to worry about these kids over here. But I got to worry about these three rooms right here. So manager, you sit outside of the door on these three rooms right here. Bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs 13.20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. Walk with the wise and become wise. And the opposite of that, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Listen, you don't have to be a fool to suffer harm. You just have to be a companion of fools. You don't have to be a fool. There's people in here that you were with people you know, you've, you hear the spread, well, I was hanging out with the wrong crowd. You could be hanging out with the wrong crowd. You could be not doing anything wrong, but you'll catch all the flack from the wrong crowd. You, 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 you'll catch all of their stuff they're doing, and you'll get accused of, or you'll get blamed for. You didn't do anything wrong. Only thing problem was you were a companion of fools. You were a companion of fools. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. The choice you make of your friends has everything to do with where you're headed. Where you're headed. Now, the word friends is really weird. Because of the advent of Facebook, the word friends is really, really weird. Do you know I have 1,400 of them? <laughs> so I don't even like to use the word anymore because, you know, biblically, all of those 1,400 of my Facebook friends aren't biblically, biblical definition of friends. So I'm just going to say the big, the big idea for my message today is, is simply this, the people we allow in our lives, the people. Whether those people are, are, are friends or not, whatever, however you define a friend. You've heard me say that we're friendly to everyone, but everyone is not our friend the people we allow in our lives determine our future. Now, I told Josh that about what I wanted to say, and I said, Josh, this is what I want to communicate, and he made up a graphic for me. And, and this graphic will come back time and time again. And this is a slim, simplistic thing, but it kind of overarching explains what I'm trying to explain. This is the people in our lives. Then we have some circles here, and then we've got a bunch of other acquaintances. But then we have some circle here of people that, that are, are important to us. The most important person into your life is who you choose as a spouse. Your spouse will have more to do to determining your future than any other person on the face of this earth. Your spouse will. And so that's why Josh drew this spouse with hands on the hips, because I think Bitsy's always mad at him. And so <laughs> when he thought of a spouse, that's what he thought of. Um, there's no one in your life that would determine your future more than the person you choose to marry. And the people were, who said amen were probably saying amen in a positive way, but the people who didn't say amen 
could say amen probably in a negative way, didn't they? Because they know the truth of it too. There are people listening to me here that made bad choices. You sucked it up and you, you made it work. Didn't want to get divorced. Didn't want to do it to the kids. Made it work. But your marriage is far less than what God intended. I've seen it through 29 years of ministry. Your spouse determines your future more than any single person on the face of this earth does. And when I do premarital counseling, the first question I ask each partner as they're engaged to be married is I said, tell me why you want to marry him and do not use the word love. Tell me why you're choosing this person and do not use the word love. Some of them are dumbfounded by that question. Well, I, I love him. That's great. That's absolutely great. Well, friends, if that's the only reason you're marrying, you're heading for trouble in your marriage. You're heading for trouble in your marriage. Yes, you want to have emotion for this person, and yes, you want to love that person, whatever that, however you define that word, but you better, better make a good choice of how this person is going to contribute to your life. What is this, what is this person bringing into this marriage that's going to make me a better person? Your, cho your choice of your spouse is absolutely the most important choice that you will make in all of the different relationships. Genesis 2.24, God says, for Adam, he says, Adam, you're going to join with your wife and you're going to be one flesh. Now, I think we could, we could talk about the ramifications of one flesh over and over and over again. But when God sees you, he sees you as one, one flesh. Um, can I tell you something? Um, I don't have an income. We have an income. You know what I mean by that? I don't have an income. Sue and I have an income. I do not understand. And I don't think other than one flesh that can I go to chapter and verse on this. But I do not understand husbands and wives who have separate checking accounts. Separate savings accounts. Aren't you just sowing a seed of distrust 
into your marriage? Where this is hers and this is his? Common denominator of people in my office that are having serious, serious marital difficulty is they have separate stuff. Sue does not work outside the home, so she doesn't have an income. But my income is her income. We have an income. That's one of the ways one flesh works out. I do, do not understand how you can have the intimacy, the closeness that is God's design for you when your stuff is separate. I don't, I don't get it, friends. I truly don't get it. And the seeds of distrust and wondering what he did with his money and her money and, oh, Oh, what's, what's the positive part of that road? Bible says you're one. Bible says you're one flesh. And this person that you choose to be one flesh with is the most important person in this world that will determine what your future has for you. Please marry them for reasons more than just love. Please be able to answer the question, why did you marry him? Why did you marry her? And do not mention the word love. Because only in songs do we hear about love will get you through. (laughs) Okay? Your future is determined by the people you allow in your life. And your choice of a mate is the number one person. The next group I want to talk about is, is, is family. Okay? In, in the purple circle down here. Um, you didn't choose your family. And if you did, some of you wouldn't choose the ones you got, right? You didn't choose your family. But you're, at least biblically, you're committed to your family. When I think of family, um, I don't think of the word love as much as I think of commitment, responsibility, obligation. I'm blessed to only have one person in my circle of family who kind of gets on my last nerve fingernails on a blackboard and while we don't choose our family we choose whether we hang out and spend time with our family and why would I choose to hang out with family members that are not positive to me or not making Helping me make positive choices. Yeah, I got to do Thanksgiving, I guess. Yeah, I got to do Christmas, I guess. But for some of your family members, you have to set boundaries, don't you? You have to set boundaries. 
And setting boundaries is not the issue, though. Setting boundaries is easy. Enforcing boundaries is the tough thing. That's the tough thing. Because what would she think of me? I know she's driving me nuts. I know he's driving me nuts. And I know it's just causing me to pull my hair out. But I don't want to hurt his feelings. Okay, that's fine. Then you're going to struggle the rest of your life with that person. Okay, that's fine. Don't complain to me about it anymore then. Don't complain anymore about it then. Because you're choosing to either not set boundaries or choosing not to enforce them. You're choosing to have that person in your life. I'm committed to my family. My brother and I, my, my mother, uh, you know, she died a couple months ago. And, and, you know, only reason I really ever saw my, my brother lives in Raleigh. And maybe this is horrible, I don't know, but it's probably like a lot of your brothers and sisters. The only reason I ever saw him is when he came to visit. Mom, he lives in Raleigh, and, and I, I wonder how much I'm going to see my brother now. But you know something? If my brother needs me, I'll be on the next plane to Raleigh. And if my, I need my brother, he'll be on the next plane to Dayton. Why? We're committed. Obligation responsibility that's what family is that's what family is and your your family the people that you call family you do not choose but you can choose whether you set boundaries and whether that person is deeply involved now I know some people it's tough and some people are parents of kids that are making really bad choices and I know it's hard and you're responsible for your kids and you, you've got to keep them in your life in that way. I get that a thousand percent. Or maybe, you, you, or maybe you're just so upset with your kids, you, they've just got on your ever living last nerve, but you don't do it for the kids, you do it for the grandkids because you're worried about the grandkids. I've heard that so many times in the counseling office. I get that. That's commitment. That's responsibility. That's obligation. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for those in their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. There's an obligation. There's a responsibility that we have, even though for some of those folks we have to set boundaries. Because the people in my life that I allow in my life will determine my future. Absolutely will. Now, let's go back to the graphic again. So we've got spouse, we've got family, and let's go to the green circle right above. People that influence us. This is one of the most important circles. This is, to me, the second most important circle. These are people we choose. People we choose to trust people we choose to confide in, people we, that we allow them to influence us. You don't allow everyone in your life to influence you. You don't confide in everyone in your life. You don't trust everyone in your life. There are some people, and usually that circle is pretty small. 
If that circle is very large for you, I bet you got a lot of trouble in your life. This, the green circle, is the biblical definition of friends when the Bible talks about friends. When the Bible talks about friends, they aren't talking about all these other stick men on the outside that are not in a circle. They're not talking about, those are acquaintances. Those are people that you're friendly with, but you're not friends. Those are Facebook friends. Those are people that you know. Hey, how you doing, man? Good to see you. You didn't really mean it, but you just said it, you know. The biblical definition of friends, the biblical definition of friends are people that you allow to influence you, people you take advice from, people that you trust in, people that you will confide in. That's a really important circle. That's a really important choice that you make because those people that you allow in that circle will determine your future in a large way. The people that influence you, the people that you will accept their advice from. That's why you got to be very, very careful. That's why Proverbs 12, 26 says the righteous are careful in selecting their friends. Because the biblical definition of friends is the green circle. Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2, one of the first passages that I ever learned as I started memorizing Scripture almost immediately after becoming a Christian, it was blessed in the one who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, is the way the King James or New King James translated that. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is one who does not walk in step with the wicked. What what does wicked mean? It's people that don't go the same direction that you go. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go call them wicked to their face. That's not what we're talking about. You may not even consider them. They're not even considered with wicked people. But, But it's people that are not walking in the direction that you're walking. Blessed are you when you don't stay in step with them. When you don't stay in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. I don't have time to go there, but do you see the progression there? You walk, you stand, and you sit. That's a whole message in itself. The people in the green circle, the people in the circle of people that we allow to influence us are unbelievably important choice that we make. So blessed is the one who hangs out with the right folks. And verse 2 says, and whose, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So it's an easy assumption to make that those are the type of people that I should be receiving counsel from. If I'm not supposed to be receiving counsel from the ungodly or staying in step with the wicked, then I stay in, in, in step, receive counsel from people whose delight is in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. There are not very many people you should allow to give you advice. I always search for people who are walking closer to Jesus than I am. 
I always search for people who are farther along the Christian road than I am for these kind of people, for these kind of people. Oh, but I just want to be friends with everybody. Well, good luck with that. I, 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 just, I just, I see the good in everybody. Well, that's good. That's good. Be friendly with them, but don't be friends with them. Biblically, the righteous are careful in choosing their friends. Proverbs 12, 26. Well, I don't want to hurt her. Okay. You choose whether you hurt her by setting boundaries and enforcing them or she hurts you. I know marriages that are struggling because of friends that they won't set boundaries. Because of partners that won't make choices. And the husband or the wife just is complaining about friends all the time. And then I don't want to hear it anymore. Set the boundaries. Force them. The people you allow in your life determine your future. I'm sorry to all the people at Lafayette High School that are watching this online right now. But I've never returned to a high school reunion. Even though a lot of those people have changed just like I have changed, I'm not sure I could deal with all those memories and the people who haven't changed. I know that I can be tempted. I know that I can be tempted. And because I can be tempted in a lot of different ways, I have to set and enforce boundaries. people in our lives graphic once more for Christians this yellow circle is important this Christians who are called to make disciples this Christian there's a circle of people that we are influencing there's a circle of people that we are investing into there's a circle of people that we are taking our time and deliberately doing whatever we can do to help these people's lives become better they're people that usually can't help you, but you can help them. You're further along in the Christian life. You're older than them. And you're investing in them. And you're hopefully influencing them in a positive way. That's an important, that's an important circle for the Christian. That's an important circle for the Christian. Because this Christianity is a pass-it-on type of thing. It's a pass-it-on type of thing. This Christianity is not just coming and, and, and having your relationship with Jesus and me and Jesus got a good thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out, man. It says, me and Jesus, you don't understand the Bible. You don't understand it. As God has merciful mercifully graciously shown us some things we are to pass that on to the people that God has given us a burden for we obviously can't do it to everybody there's not enough time to do it for everybody but there's a circle of people that you feel like you have a calling to or a burden for or a circle of people that it seems like God has brought into your life 
that he's calling you to influence. Boy, those people affect your future. Man, they really do. Those people make you feel really Christian. Make you feel like you're really doing something for the Lord. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul writes, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Paul says, so what you've heard from me, you entrust it to other people so they can, put, trust, they can teach it to other people because this is a pass it on kind of faith. This is a pass it on kind of thing. So for the Christian, that circle of people that we're influencing and people that God has called and brought into our life, boy, those people, those people determine your life determine your future now can I tell you something and some of you know this those people will greatly frustrate you I'm thinking of a few people in here that are doing that right now and they're frustrated because people don't always do what you tell them to do that's why they're in the mess that they're in important circle one more circle I want to talk about and this is a circle that I'm just calling the circle of respect there are people that I really wouldn't call biblical friends but they're people that I greatly respect I may not talk to them for two years I don't have them over my house for dinner they could live uh, uh, 17 states away for all I know but if I got a problem I respect their advice I want to hear from them I want to hear from them. Probably not in my green circle. I, you know, I don't ever, I don't ever see them. And, and, you know, maybe at one time, this is how it happens a lot, maybe in one time they were in your green circle, but you moved away, they moved away, life happens. There's a few people I respect. Who is that person? Who, who is that person, those people for you that you've got and you know that that person will tell you the truth? That person is not impressed by you. And they will tell you the truth. All these other people, they're like my 1400 on Facebook, you know. People you respect. Romans 13, 7, Paul writes, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, you pay taxes. If revenue, pay revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. There are people that I respect and I honor, and they're important people in my life, even though I may not talk with them only once a year. Now, let me, let me tell you about my DNA. Most of you that have been in this church a long time, know that I'm not a real hanger-outer. I enjoy the pleasure of my own company. I hired Mike Hancock for one reason, because we were a staff of introverts, and I needed somebody that is a people person, man. <laughs> because we were a staff of introverts. 
We close our doors, man. That's me naturally. That's my DNA. If I get set on autopilot and I stay on autopilot, that's the way I'll, I'll stay. Ask Sue. She knows. But even though that's my DNA, even though I will never be an extrovert, I have to, by the grace of God, lean in because I know I need people in my life. And I know that people need me. God said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good that man should be alone. I, thought, I, think, I think Adam pretty much had it all cool, man. He's in that garden. He had it all figured out, man. I mean, he had everything he wanted. And now God says, it's not good that you be alone. Companionship, relationship is really, really important in life. Really important in life. Why is that the case? For us Christians, that we may be encouraged in our walk with the Lord. Lone Ranger, Harold, you know this as a former pastor, Lone Ranger Christians are a, you got to keep your eye on them because they may walk away from the faith. People that don't want accountability, be careful about Lone Ranger Christians. We need each other. Romans, Paul writes in Romans, Paul says, I want to come visit you in Romans 1.12. Paul says, I'm going to come visit you that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. You need to be encouraged by like-minded people because if you're a Christian, the world disagrees with you. They think you're crazy if you're really a biblical Christian. That you do some of the things you do and don't do some of the things you don't do. And you feel nuts. Am I really right? You have to be mutually encouraged. Hebrews 10, 23, 24, 25, wherever that is, says, do not neglect the gathering together that you may, what's the word there? Encourage one another. Doesn't say do not neglect the gathering together because God's going to kick you out of heaven if you don't come to church. God's going to hit you over the head with his holy baseball bat if you don't come to church. No, it says you need this that you may be encouraged in the faith. In the faith. Why do I need people in my life? Because the Bible says I need some people in my life that are going to make me better. They're going to sharpen me, Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron. I need some people that are going to push me. When iron sharpens iron, it creates frictions. I need people that are going to stick my finger in my back. I need people that are going to tell me, Mark, you need to do it a little differently than the way you did. I need people that I respect that will tell me, you're a little off base. Make this choice. Don't make that choice anymore. I need somebody that's going to sharpen me in my life. I need that kind of friends. I need that kind of companionship in my life because those people determine the direction of your life. Those people determine your future. Proverbs 27, 6 says, I need somebody that will tell me the truth even if it hurts my feelings. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. 
Do you know how you know if you're a friend with somebody? Biblical, biblical friend, green circle. Do you know how you know if you're a friend? If you're not afraid to offend them with, your tr- with the truth. And lots of you are afraid to defend some, offend somebody with the truth. But the truth is absolutely the greatest thing that you can ever give anybody. As long as it's given with love and with grace. Well, they'll be mad at me. Well, I guess I'd rather, I guess it's all about me then, right? I guess I'd rather have uh, them do something stupid than be mad at me. Because it's all about me and my feelings. You need some people in your life that will wound you. Will tell you the truth. Those are your friends. Those are your friends. They really, really are. An enemy multiplies kisses. An enemy multiplies kisses. An enemy just affirms me in whatever I want to do. They affirm me. Enemy just... Friends will sometimes admonish you. They'll do it graciously. They'll do it lovingly. How many times have you told your kids? Listen, I love you enough here to tell you the truth. Which basically said, I love you enough to make you mad right now. That's what's getting... I love you enough to tell you something that you are going to disagree with. But I love you too much to keep on going down that road, even if you get mad at me. I don't give a rip if you get mad at me. I love you. I'm responsible for you. I'm obligated for you. I, I, I have a commitment to you. And if I have a commitment to you, I must tell you the truth. Psalm 141, verse 5. Look at this verse. Psalm 141, verse 5. Let a righteous man strike me. That's kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. (laughs) He's your friend. If he loves you enough to hold you accountable, he's your friend. He's your friend. As I close, just a little bit of advice here. Every time that somebody gives you some truth, you're not going to like it. It's happened plenty of times in my life. You may not even agree with it because people that love you could be wrong sometimes. But I've trained myself. When someone gives me truth that I need to hear, I've trained myself to say thank you. I receive that. And then I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to talk to other people about about it. Then I'll make the choice on whether to implement that correction in my life or not. But I'm not going to get I'm not going to get offended. What's this stuff with offense all of a sudden in our society? Everybody's offended. You can't offend me unless I allow you to offend me. One of the reasons we don't get offended when people correct us or tell us the hard truth 
is because I've been forgiven by God. Is there anybody more in this world I've offended than God? Is there anybody more in this world I've offended? If, if he has forgiven me, how can I withhold forgiveness from someone who said something? Maybe they didn't say it quite lovingly enough or quite gracious enough. In their humanity, they tried, but they didn't say it quite in a way. I have to get over that and not be offended. Offended? Who are you? Such an egotist that you should be offended. Nobody can offend you unless you allow them to offend you. And one of the reasons it's really hard to offend me is because I've been forgiven by God. Do you know how much? Do you have any clue how much he's forgiven me of? And for me to withhold forgiveness from someone that maybe didn't say it quite in the right way? What is this offense, Christians? Thank you. I receive that. <laughs> you may not agree with it. Thank you. I receive that. And that's where the blood of Christ comes in because I've been forgiven. And because I've been forgiven, man, I, I'm changed. I'm gentler. If you, don't think I'm, if you don't think that I'm gentle now, you should have seen me before I got saved, man. <laughs> the cross changes everything. Our actions and our reactions to everything. Everything. Our servers are coming to the table. And this blood of Jesus that we observe at the table and body of Jesus that we observe at the table truly does change us, truly does make us people that are, can receive a rebuke from someone. <laughs> truly does make us gentler people not people that have to take up for ourselves all the time. <laughs> I just want to tell you this morning that the people you choose to allow in your life will determine your future. Determine your future. And I said your spouse is the most important person. I, I tried hard to say it's the most important person on this earth. The most important person that determines your future is your heavenly father your heavenly father and you start a relationship with him by accepting what he did for you what did the song say he paid it all all to him I owe and it starts with you receiving forgiveness have that happened to you or are you just coming to church father Meet us here at this moment. Use this message in these people's lives in whatever way you want it to be used. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.